Hello, just before we get started, I just want to say I did have an issue uh, in the recording of this podcast. It was all fine and dandy up until about an hour in, and then my microphone cut out, and I didn't realise for about 10 minutes or so. I did have a backup recording going, you'll be glad to hear, but you will hear at a certain point, uh, just before the hour mark, that it switches from uh, from the usual sort of quality audio that you're used to to uh, a slightly lower quality recording. So just wanted to make you aware of that so you didn't think that your uh, devices were glitching or anything like that. Hope you enjoy the pod. Hello, welcome to Utabia, Stephen Chicken here, alongside David Hartrick. We've got plenty to talk about, so we'd better crack on, haven't we, Dave? We had, we had. Just before, though, uh, and I'm going slightly off script already, Steve, we had, I just wanted to say thank you to a lot of people, because we had a lot of really nice feedback on last week's pod, more than certainly I've I've ever had personally, um, and it was nice to know that people are listening. Yeah. Thank you everyone who does listen and everyone who sends nice feedback. Not that we're saying this to solicit more, um, but, you know, always nice. Uh, fruit baskets as well. If you drop me an email, I'll uh, I'll let you know the address. Um, but one group of people that aren't going to be garlanded with fruit baskets after their performance at the weekend. Lovely. Or Huddersfield Town. They lost 3-0 to Brantford um, and it was not a good performance, was it? No, uh, it... We've we laid out how bad the attacking problems were last week, and Saturday was basically all those attacking problems remained really. But then also defensively, they made some really key errors. We'll get into the goals in a bit, but it didn't really tell us anything new. I didn't think Steve, but it just confirmed a lot of a lot of things that a lot of people were thinking anyway. I think it was not just not a step forward and we've talked a lot about we want to see steps forward in this team I don't think any any of us expected um, expected town to go to Brentford and win uh, at all so you know in that respect it's it's you can't really see it as points dropped but it's the fact that it was such a big step backwards I mean we we, we talked a lot about the new principles the new style of play that Carlos Corbran is trying to implement and I know this was the first away game that we've had but we were told you know that they're going to play the same style home and away they're going to be progressive they're going to be taking the game to to the opposition just as much as they take it to us and again Brentford are a really good team they played well to be fair Brentford you know you you can't question that and this is a team that were within you know that had championship point on three separate occasions last season and and should have probably should have got promoted um but but obviously didn't they 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 fell short at a couple of the the last couple of hurdles but even with all those caveats town barely got past the halfway line let alone into the final third they were there was such a big gap between the midfield and the attack and they ended up just putting balls over the top looking for for Karoma or Rimbenza or Diakabi to run on to literally just run at it see if we can get it oh no you haven't never mind back again back Brentford come Town had the majority of the possession and to say that they had most of the possession they didn't 
do anything with it. It was uh, sterile, absolutely sterile. Yeah, I mean, what what were your thoughts on it? Um, I really, just echo everything you've just said. I, they, I, I think, as I said, I, I don't think it was a step forwards. I don't think it was a step back. I personally, I just think it was just more of the same, um, and just com- you know, more confirmation of some of the things that we knew about. With it, it was a funny one, Steve, because you like it's horribly. it's horrible to sit here and say, well, we got this right, we got that right, and we got the other right. But we thought there would be injuries. We said that on the pod pre-season because of the change in training regime and injuries are happening. We thought the uh, attacking problems were perhaps even more stark than they looked, and I, I think that's bang right. But we did say that defensively we thought that wasn't where Town's problem was, but I thought... All three goals, um, you know, for all the caveats you can make about Brentford being a really good side, all three goals were bad goals to concede, you know. Yeah, and that's something we've we've seen so far. I mean, that I don't think any of the goals Town have conceded this season are going to be ones that they're happy with. It's not it's not anyone coming up with a forty yard screamer into the top corner. Do you do you want to run through those goals then, Dave? Yeah, well, the, the like the first goal. Um, is it's a good break down the left hand side, and it is uh, it was Henry who I think was was absolutely brilliant on the day. To be fair, I thought he was really really he was good. Um, but he pulls it back for De Silva at the edge of the area, and to to put it into context, why I think it's it's a poor goal to concede. The ball comes back to him, and he's got nobody within. I I've actually screenshotted it. And he's got nobody within a six-yard circle. You know, he could go any way he wanted with it. Not only that, he's got... There's three Brentford players ahead of the ball, which is something we never, ever see with Town. We never see players ahead of the ball. And he's got two on the overlap. Jaden Brown's had to come inside because the whole defence has come over. Romani Critchlow's positioning is poor there. He's been drawn far too, far too over. Hogs dropped too deep. So he can't pick up on the man coming in from midfield, which is is literally what he's supposed to do. And as good a finish as it is, like a, a really good championship level footballer should be bagging them in under minimal pressure from the edge of the box like that. So I thought it was I I thought it was a poor goal to concede. And then the second one, the again, if you if you screenshot it, Steve, at the moment where. The ball comes into the box and it's uh, Buembo, isn't it, who turns and sort of turns again to get that sort of yard of space. As he flicks it across to uh, the waiting force, the defending just looks so... If you take that still shot, it, it just looks so bad. There's, what, one, two, three, four, five, six players, Huddersfield Town players, around the ball and nobody is on... Force, nobody is on the player on the right hand side. There's three more players waiting for the cutback. It's it's just that ain't good. Now, I know we've got the caveats of they lost Toffolo and Schindler, etc. But yeah. that level of defending is 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 unforgivable, really. And I'm sure Corbran will be absolutely fuming about that. And then the third goal, as it's a wonderful finish, but the ball comes across to him, and again, it's like minimal pressure on Muembo, who, again, I thought had a really, really good game. Jaden Brown doesn't get tight and allows him to come inside, but again, the interesting thing is here, Brentford 
three players ahead of the ball again. You know, they were mm. they were so happy to let Town have the ball, but then break in numbers and attack in numbers when they could, that I just think it's a slightly damning indictment on where Town were at that point in time. And funnily enough, I don't actually agree with the comments that they just sort of gave up after the first goal went in. I don't. It was a. It, was it Stearman said after the game he felt and Corbran as well. And yeah, Corbran. both of them did. I. I don't think they did. I think they. There was no marked difference to the performance before that first goal and after that first goal. The, they. It, it's like nobody quite knows what they should be doing. So, the, like Hog. If you go on and even just watch the highlights, I don't know if everybody saw this game because I think we need to have just a little word for I follow in a minute, Steve. Um, <laughs> but even if you just go on and watch the two-minute highlights on YouTube, like you'll see there's there's Brentford's very first chance. Hogg gets done three times in the move because he doesn't know who to pick up and where to go. And it's, it's just that sort of thing is just quite worrying because we have sat here and said, well, defensively, that's the one area we don't think they're too bad. Yeah, and as you say, they did lose Christopher Schindler, Harry Toffolo. But let's be honest, they were getting absolutely peppered yeah. b- before that. Um, you know, Jaden Brown and Romney Critchlow, neither of them very experienced. In fact, Critchlow coming on for his first for his championship debut. So, you know, it's it's difficult to attach too much blame to him. And obviously, Pippa playing only his second game. So, you know, there's there's those excuses there that that they could make. To be fair, they didn't. Um, you know, we asked about the injuries after the game, and Corbrand said it would be easy to make an injury uh, an excuse out of it, but he he didn't want to do that, and it was. It was one of those games where it could have been three, four, five nil by half time. It's it's it tough really to could find a positive. That's what we're both yeah. trying to say. <laughs> yeah, because they do, had nothing, we, nothing going forward either. Yeah, we you know we said it before. We try to remain a bit more analytical because we're slightly more detached. But it that was a game where it really is like we we want to pick out and point to progress, and it just there wasn't really any evidence of that on Saturday. But with the huge caveat of you're playing against a team who, by rights, should be in the Premier League as far as I'm concerned. And also, I'd far rather see them there than West Brom or Fulham. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would quite agree with that. But, I mean, I wrote in my five conclusions on on Sunday and, well, actually wrote it Saturday night. But I I was pretty damning and, you know, I've said, I think if they carry on playing like that in attack they're going to get relegated and that was almost that was the point you were making last week when you when you you know outlined those stats there aren't goals in in this side as it stands at the moment unfortunately you know the 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 whole team that played on on Saturday had 19 goals between them in their 600 odd appearances for town to date if you actually look at the 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 sort of the front five so the midfield uh, the mid, you know, the, the Pacuna and Pritchard basically. Yeah, the two the wider th- midfielders. Plus, pl- pl- plus the front three. There's actually, if you look at them at their previous clubs, they've got a decent rate of return. In fact, they scored about three times more often for their previous clubs than they have for Town. So it's not like it's not like these are players that have never scored goals in their careers, and and that is a crude metric because we're talking about players that have played in other countries or played at lower level and cup games against you know fourth division teams and all of these kinds of things but you know they're still they scored three times as often for their previous clubs as they have for town 
it just it isn't a a functioning unit at all and and you wouldn't necessarily you know you wouldn't expect it to be perfect at this stage of the season under a new new manager new style players that haven't played together much before but even with all those excuses made they they can't go on no. like this that they, they just can't like and you worry that those players are not going to improve to a sufficient standard and exa- again I, you, you text me after the game saying you're feeling now how I felt after Norwich mm-hmm. and I think that's spot on um, but you know that that front three have, have had 76 games for Huddersfield Town between them going into this game and have scored one goal between them Yeah, uh, um, and I know that Danny Ward is going to come back from injury and but it's just not good enough is it no it's the thing is there's lots of i don't want to get too statty two weeks in a row so i deliberately am trying to avoid that but you can any sort of as crude a metric as that is steve i think any metric you look at attacking wise will just confirm the overall point which is it's it's not just about not scoring enough goals towns just simply don't create enough chances anything like um it's a very tough situation for any striker or any attacking player when they feel like even a half chance if they don't score that might be it for the game they might not get another whereas mm-hmm. you look at a team like Brentford who are so happy to attack in numbers because they just feel they will score they they all feel like they can get on the score sheet they all feel like well if we miss this one don't worry because give it a couple of minutes and another one will be along and it's it's that I think is a, a a slight mental issue as well with town i think they are there are players in that squad who are struggling to take the responsibility because they feel if they're the one that misses that's that's it you know that's them done and it's they did have a couple of chances the header that hit the post from pakuna but yeah um but the problem is it's just it's open play they just don't hurt teams in open play mm-hmm. and like Danny Ward coming in I we've both said we think Danny Ward's a good signing and I stand by that I I think he is a good signing and I think he'll lead that line well but you've you, you got to get the ball to him you've got to give this him is chances it. someone made the point to me that you know I, I sort of have slated the front three but there's questions to be asked in midfield because mm-hmm. it's almost the same thing that we saw under Jan Sievert. So the, the, the problem we're playing 4-3-3, the main problem you need to overcome because every tactic has its its strengths and weaknesses and its positives and its drawbacks. And the big issue classically with the 4-3-3 is closing the gap between the midfield three and the front three. And I mean, that's part of the reason they've got such attacking fullbacks in is to help do that in wide positions. But you also need to to find other ways to do it through the middle of the park. And I think the midfield three that played against Brentford didn't do that well enough, to be honest. They they were, as I say, they were hitting those 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 speculative balls over the top. One of them actually nearly came off. Um, Pritchard for Mbenza, and Mbenza just he, he lost. He seemed to just lose sight of the ball, and he should have just been running onto it. But he started looking around for the ball and ended up just stopping because he was like, I don't know where the ball is. And a more instinctive player would have just known where the ball was, mm. no, known where it was going to drop, and and taken it in his stride. And and but do you think there is a uh, obviously we, we've got Carolighting coming into the side, we've got Nabi Sar coming into the side, uh, and he will presumably be looking to overlap into into midfield. That's the whole the whole reason that they've bought him. We've got Lewis O'Brien who's going to bring sort of energy and and running, and and we know that he can carry the ball really well. Um, but do you think there is? 
a point in there about it's not just the front three, the midfield are, are not doing their part to, to help them out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that attacking is a collective, um, particularly in modern football. I mean, it, it always has been, but particularly in modern football with the way you have to get your fullbacks involved. So you basically, in in this system, how they want it to work is that you, you have a, a hog, a, a six, basically, to drop in between those centre-backs when you're out of possession and to just sort of basically offer a layer of protection other than that. But then you have a front three and two midfielders and two wing-backs who essentially you, you want them to attack as a seven. And at the moment, that's just not happening because those midfielders aren't playing at their best. Lewis O'Brien will provide some energy um, and will provide some some sort of impetus going forward. But as as brilliant as Lewis O'Brien is, and we you know we wax lyrical over him for a whole season last year, he has got to chip in with some goals as well. So it's yeah. it's not like he he would say that himself. Yeah, he, he it, had said that to it, himself. It's not like he just instantly becomes the thing that solves everything. I think Naby Sarr makes a big difference to that that back four. I think he comes straight in and and he's he's got a settle. You know, we've we've seen a lot of defenders come into town, and arguably the only one that sort of immediately settled straight away um, was probably Stearman. Um, and I go back to the Premier League there. Um, so he'll take a couple of games, but I think tough one side, Pippa, Zara, and Schindler uh, is is fine and and should work longer term. But Zar has got the ability to carry the ball forward, and he likes. Um, he likes that Chalabar flat thirty-five yard ball into you know into a winger or into a midfielder, and I think Town need that. They need that to to just basically break lines and and get through the transitions. So he makes a big difference when he comes in. And there are this is the thing we don't want to be like just condemn everything. But when I look at that midfield, Pritchard is is out of form and is struggling and we spoke a little bit about that last week why the reasons we we think he is but I think with Pritchard you there's still a player in there and I always feel with Pritchard he's one good game from a really good run of form for 10-15 games and I know there's very little evidence to base that on but he should at least <laughs> he should be good at this level but he's just yeah. completely he has of confidence before. I said in my piece, I think he's got the yips. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if people are familiar with the yips, but it's it's that thing where you are overthinking everything. So, like, the athletic performance, it has to be um, almost instinctive. Like, mm. when you learn a skill so uh, expertly that you aren't even consciously aware of how you're doing it anymore, you just do it. The yips is when that stops happening and you start overthinking everything and you're thinking oh I need to put my foot here and if you do that you are not going to be good you you actually go back to the the level of of a beginner again when when that happens and the, the I think we've seen signs that that's happening with I mean that free kick from Pritchard is classic a player who's got the yips he's not hitting that ball naturally he's he's hitting it like a, an amateur would because he's he's regressed he's he's mm. there's something gone off in his 
mind that's taken him backwards. The equivalent in day-to-day life of of the Ips or Dartitis or whatever you want to call it is if you're if you're a driver, you don't sit in the car thinking about every time you change gear, every time you accelerate and brake, every time you put the indicator on because you're too busy singing along to whatever tune you've got on your iPod. You know, it just it, it's the equivalent of regressing back to being in a driving lesson and not knowing what to do. And I think there is something in that, Steve. I think you're exactly right, and I don't think it is. I, I, but I don't think it is incurable. I think you could still no. get a, a, a tune out of him. And Corbyn seems to be a manager who would really appreciate that type of midfielder on form. So you would, yeah, big time. You would hope longer term that there's, there's, they can bring something from him. But I, I'm. Like I know Pritchard is getting a lot of stick at the moment from other fans and other podcasts, etc. But I'm actually more worried about Bakuna at the minute, who whose contribution at the moment I think is like so far off his actual level of talent. Yeah. Is is with Pritchard, I think you can see he's got there's mental issues and there's. But I would argue you can see the evidence that he's trying. You can see. Yeah, I would agree with that. You, I, I think there's been there's been people saying, "Oh, he, you know, his attitude stinks." I genuinely don't think that at no. all. Like, not with Pritchard. I mean, like, I genuinely don't. I mean, you, he to me looks, if anything, like you talked about it with Coroma a couple of weeks ago. He needs to relax into games because you can see him getting frustrated whenever he yeah. overhits a pass or he's or he's putting it. You know, we skies spoke one of those about three kicks. last week when he when yeah. he comes off, you can. See see he's absolutely furious at himself yeah whereas Bakuna at the moment is we've got that Bakuna that is just drifting (laughs) just drifts through a game and it's that thing I said last week about the game happens to him rather than him actually taking it by the scruff of the neck and and getting hold of it and the reason he frustrates me more to be frank is because his his he hasn't got a ceiling with his natural talent and the things he can do with a football barely trying he genuinely he should be an absolute top level player but he's just his body language isn't great i don't think at the moment steve and yeah he, he just every time i see him at the moment again i without repeating myself but it is just that drift through the game oh the ball's coming to me i'll see what i can do there's very little adrenaline in his game which i think when you from him as a midfielder his job in that midfield three or when he goes wide up front is you've got to provide some energy and some adrenaline and some Mm. spark and some running and i just i just don't see it at the moment at all and i would rather have I, i would rather have pritchard beating himself up then watching Bakuna just you know okay well that's another game done who are we playing next week you know yeah big time it's 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 frustrating and neither of us as well are people who are go out and get a sign in we're no. we're not those guys we're not transfer window solves everything uh nope. type people just either with you know clubs in general or with our own our own teams um it has to be the right sign-ins but you just feel with that with going back to that front three it's just and i know that they were playing on benzer at center forward which is not ideal um with fraser campbell still coming back from injury but even then we're talking about the the chance creation is is the issue rather than the finishing apart from that chance you talked about i actually i didn't think benzer did anything wrong i thought he i thought he made I thought he he ran intelligently. You know, he looked to get into the spaces. But again, it's that 
you can run into all the spaces you want, but if if the ball's never coming anywhere near you, there's there's nothing you can do about it. So I I didn't think Mbenza did anything wrong. I don't think Dear Carby did anything wrong either, because we <laughs> by law we have to talk about them as a pair apparently these days. <laughs> um, and I you know again I don't think Dear Carby had a, a particularly bad game. The problem. One of the big problems Town have got at the moment is there's not a single player in that team who is on any sort of form. So this is this, the, this is the the this is the point I made in my conclusion. Sorry to interrupt you there, Dave, but I don't think anyone had a stinker. No, no one. Like I don't think any individual player was like a three out of ten at all, or even really a four out of ten. Everyone was a five, but the as a when everyone's a five, the team performance is a two or a three. Yeah, is the reality of it because it's mm. it's it multiplies it multiplies through the team and and when you've got everyone on a five it it just all of those errors are, are amplifying each other and and it just feels like they've got a lot of players who have a, a lot of talent on one hand but also have flaws which is what you expect in the championship this is why these players play in the championship mm. and not in the premier league so you can ex- accept that these players have flaws but where other teams in other teams, those players' flaws are hidden by what the other players around them are doing. Mm. They will set up the team to maximise the strengths and hide the weaknesses. And it just feels like Town's weaknesses are all adding up to it to, and amplifying one another at the moment. Yeah. Like, not none of the strengths are coming out and all of the weaknesses are coming out. Yeah. And it's a major issue. And, and yeah. Yeah. But that's exactly right, because if you're, if you're Brentford, you can carry three or four four out of ten performances because you are going to have three or four that are eight or above so you're always going to average out at your six or seven and you're exactly right the problem town have got is everybody at the moment is sort of on a plateau is on the same level and i'm excited to see um what iting brings to that midfield and to that side because one of his key um stats is forward passing he always looks to to get that ball forward and that is something that Town are just really poor at at the moment. Um, there's so much sideways or backwards. And we've spoke about that. I mean, I've personally been talking about that, I think, since the f- the first season in the Premier League, possibly mm. even in the promotion season. <laughs> so when ESR came last season and he had that forward impetus, that's why it looked so sort of otherworldly. You know, it just—he looked so brilliant, and he looked like the the panacea for all of Town's problems at the time. I'm not saying I think can have that level of impact, but if there was one area I would say Town desperately need to improve, it is literally getting the ball forward, pushing the ball yeah. forward, getting on the front foot. So I think he comes in and makes makes a difference, and hopefully that lifts others because if you spend the first half an hour of a game getting into space and making really good runs but you never get the ball guess what you do for the next half an hour of the game and before you know it you do what Danny Ward did against Rochdale which you end up just coming backwards and backwards just to try and get on the ball you know just to try and sort of influence the game so I think he makes a difference but he's got to have as you as you rightly identified he can't be an 8 out of 10 if everybody else is still a 5 out of 10 because he won't pull them up. He'll end up getting dragged down <laughs> to their level. So I really hope he is the, the the touch paper, really, that gets at least one or two of these players just 
gets gets again i spoke about this on a podcast you get to the point where you feel like you're repeating yourself but it's that thing of getting some adrenaline back into this side steve getting yeah getting that to that point where like you said they're doing things on instinct and they're doing things quickly and they are it's not even about being exciting and charging forward and running a million miles an hour, but it is that that thing of adrenaline just coursing through their veins. But I'm also just not sure anymore whether there's enough quality with the attacking options they've got, to be frank, because even when they had Smith Rowe last season, they that Charlton game aside and, and, and Bristol City, those two games aside, it's not like they were going and spanking everyone three, four goals. Um, even after they made, you know, and that was when they had Chalabar in the side and they had Carlin Grant in the side and they had Emil Smith Rowe in the side. So I don't know. It's it's this it's this weird thing with Huddersfield Town where they've changed everything and the problems are all still the same. Um, and I mean, Phil Hodgkinson talked earlier this summer in June. I went back and listened to his this morning. I went back and listened to the podcast he did with Andy Takes That Chance in June. And he was saying there that he felt like the club needed a complete reset. And I would agree with that. And I think the fans agree with that. And I think that's why we're seeing so much sort of aggravation and so many people saying, sign an attacker. That, because they feel like that reset has to happen. And with and I think this is why people are getting so upset about Pritchard. And I think Pritchard has kind of become that emblem of... yeah. Huddersfield Town's underperformance. Yep. I think he's getting more stick than his performances necessarily deserve um, on an individual game-to-game basis, but it's just the fact that he's never done it for Town and the fact that he his mere presence in the team t- to a lot of fans just says, this is this is the old Huddersfield Town and things aren't changing. Yeah. he the, Like, I think... I hate to say it because we, I don't think we have... But I think in the wider Huddersfield Town sporting public, they've given up on Umbenza and Diakabi, who would be the poster boys for exactly this. But the reality is now that they've basically given up on them, so Pritchard is the poster boy for it. And I, I, I get it. It's not We're not here to say you are completely wrong to feel that way or anything like that. We completely get it. We completely understand it. We know exactly where it's coming from. But that thing about having a complete reset, Steve, is is it's interesting. But the problem is you can't if you're gonna say the club needs a complete reset, you can't then sort of you you've gotta be better the communication of what's happening needs to be really good and there needs to be some signs of progress and some some sparks of life basically. And I think one of the problems town fans have at the moment, understandably, is this was a very tough start to the season, but we are three games in because there was the Rochdale game as well. And you could argue that in 270 minutes of football, they've yet to see the 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 thing they can clutch to because that's what we football fans do. We take the smallest thing and cling on to it as a moment of hope and optimism. And they've yet to have that. So I, I they've not scored a goal yet. Yeah, this is the thing. So I I completely understand the. Like the reaction on Twitter to the Brentford game, I think was an overreaction because of the context of who they were playing. Yes. But I think it's also completely understandable because it's not just about that 90 minutes of football. It's about losing to Norwich at home and looking to Toothless. It's about losing to Rochdale at home and everything just not quite working. It's about them feeling like they're not. It's it. I think there's a disconnect at the moment between the club and a section of their fan base, which is 
is not just about COVID and the virus, um, but unfortunately it's like the worst possible time because fans mm-hmm. not being able to go to games, etc., just amplifies all these feelings just incredibly. Yeah. I mean, I've had a bit of a, a rant there about, about the performance, and um, it, it's not that I don't feel like... One thing I think it's important to say is I I wouldn't attach any blame for any of this to Carlos Corbran no, as it stands. None at all. Like he's and and he will get this team performing better. I'm I'm pretty sure of it. And the reason I'm sort of having this rant, same similar to you, week your stats last week, is just to sort of set where that baseline is because I said this to Lee Bromby on that that YouTube preview we did for the game. We know that that we have to judge Huddersfield Town on where they are at the end of the season um, and the progress they make over the over these sort of next nine months. And we know that, that this difficult start, as I said earlier, they they were never going to go to Brentford and win, let's be perfectly honest, um, with this early in the project. And it's not about whether they beat Brentford. That's not going to define their season. What's going to define their season is how they play against Rotherham in a couple of weeks' time, how they play against Derby sort of after the international break, well, how after, they play against Birmingham and Millwall. After the start they've had, you know, how they play against Forest who started yeah. equally as badly and these are the, these are the games where they need to see a little bit of progress and it's not necessarily about winning it's not necessarily about going out and spanking forest 4-0 but what they what they do have is a game live on sky so every town fan who wants to see it can find a way to see it and they just they want to they want to find that thing of they want to see that moment of optimism, that thing to cling to. And we can only sort of take it game by game at the moment. It's because otherwise we'd have nothing to talk about. We can't just say, okay, well, we'll do our next podcast in May and and see what we've learned. <laughs> like we have to, we have to judge it, but game by game. And the evidence of that Brentford game was was pretty shocking. Um, you mentioned though, like that a lot of the the you mentioned a lot of the fan disenchantment there. Everyone has been asking about the finances again um in in my twitter so i feel like it's something that that we we should talk about really we need to talk about the transfers we need to talk about the finances we need to talk about um how Huddersfield Town have been affected by COVID. We need to talk about the repayments that are being made to Dean Hoyle. A lot of fans seem to think that they're at the club are hiding something with the finances, that Phil Hodgkinson's trying to pull a fast one. The reason I want to go through this is because I don't think either of those things are true. And you can say what you like about the running of the club. You can say what you like about the recruitment being below par. Although, as I say, I think, you know, Saar, Iting, Pippa all look good signings. Um, and you might want the club to put in a lot more investment, and I understand that when the club is when the the squad is in the shape it is, and and so clearly still needs more players brought in through the door. But I would just sort of reject this idea that that there is anything untoward going on because I don't think there's any evidence of that. Obviously, Dean Hoyle taking his uh, his repayments out of the club that's fifteen million pounds a year. That is not a small chunk of change that has is coming out of the club's budget that's not coming out of phil hodgkinson's pocket that is not to do with the purchase of the club that is money that was put into the club by dean hoyle it was in the club's accounts it's now coming back out of the accounts to him again say what you will about that but that is a legitimate transaction he's technically within his rights to to ask for that money back and again you can have your own opinions on whether you think he should but 
that's his money he can he can take it back and and that's where we are the other thing is that i think people are underestimating the impact that that covid has had so someone was in my replies yesterday saying you know i know they've lost money on match day revenues but surely they've made that back uh, made at least some of that back by not having to pay for match day staff and things like that those match day revenues is a significant portion of the club's revenue when you're in the championship so when you're in the premier league that is sort of 11 12 percent of, of town's revenue because they make about four to five million pounds on a match day that was it was up towards sort of five million pounds um in the premier league when they're obviously selling out or close to it every game when they're in the championship previously it was three to four million in 2016-17, when they had the promotion season and obviously the uh, the gates were high, it was just a shade over £4 million, the match day revenue. On top of that, you've got the commercial revenue, so that's things like sp- shirt sponsorship. Town don't have a shirt sponsor yet, and possibly they should have a shirt sponsor. Probably they should have a shirt sponsor at this stage, but they don't at the moment. That is a, a point of criticism, to be fair. But there's also a large part of that commercial revenue will be match day hospitality. That's gone. They've got retail money. Again, the promotion season, that was just a shade under a million pounds. And that was when they were selling all your David Wagner merchandise and everything like that. That was just a shade under a million pounds. A lot of that will have been done on match days. That's gone. So although all of those things added up the match day, the commercial and your retail revenue, in the Premier League, it's only 11 or 12% of your revenue, the the money you've got coming in. In the Championship, it's close to 50%. It's a lot of money. The other thing is is wages people are asking why are they why they let so many players go and not replace them like for like if we look at the wage bill this is extremely crude but let's take the wage bill which includes paying all your staff um as well as the players and it includes playing academy players everything let's assume that you're spending your entire wage bill on 22 players in your first team squad which they're not but just as a as a, an indication of where we are with this in the premier league the second season in the premier league if if their wage budget was split over 22 players you've got a weekly wage there of 49,000 pounds a week per player last time they were in the championship it was uh 16 and a half thousand so it was a third of what they're paying in the premier league and that 16 and a half thousand i'm led to believe includes the quite substantial promotion bonuses that they got that season in 2015-16 town's wage budget again this extremely crude way of looking at it but uh he split the 11 million pounds they spent on wages over 22 players in 2015-16 then it's nine and a half thousand pounds so you're going from 49 to nine and a half um for between the premier league and town's stature in 2015-16 a lot of those premier league players have gone and obviously everyone had a took a wage cut after the relegation but they've still got 10 players on the books who were there during the Premier League games. And those are Ben Hamer, Terence Congolo, Christopher Schindler, Flo Hadjanai, Janino Bakuna, Jonathan Hogg, Alex Pritchard, Isaac Mbenza, Adama Diakabi, Carl Grant. So they will all be on a percentage of the money that they were on in the Premier League. And that is no small change either. And that's just the 10 that are still left. That's not talking about Ramadan Sobi, who's already left the club, or Elias Kachunga, or Colin Kwana, or anyone else that's left the club this summer. We don't know the, the exact specifics of how much, exactly how much any of those players were earning, but, you know, it will have been reasonably decent amount by Huddersfield Town standards, certainly compared with where they were last time they were in the championship. The other thing that people have been asking has been, whatever happened to one in, one out? I think one in, one out 
was very specifically for last summer. That was Phil Hodgkinson answering a question, sort of this time last year, this sort of point in the transfer window last year. How many signings are we going to get in? And he said, it's one in, one out. I don't think that was ever intended to be. That is the transfer policy forever at Huddersfield Town now, is it's one in, one out. Now, it's clear that, that they've let go more players or sold more players than they've than they have brought in so far. They've, they've brought in five. Let's be honest, Dave. You and I said they probably needed sort of ten to twelve players this this window. Uh, sorry, this season, and and probably they do when you look at sort of the gaps in that squad. But that was maybe unrealistic because if you look at the number of transfers made in the in the championship so far. Town have made five, as I say. The average for the championship is four. The average championship club has made four signings so far this summer. And a significant number of them have been free transfers or loans. The the, the transfers that have been done for a fee are in the minority. And that's even assuming transfers that are on transfer mark with a question mark next to them are transfers made for a fee. Even taking that into account, there's been more free transfers than transfers for fees. The average spend by a championship club uh, so far this summer is... Minus eight million. Uh, the average championship club is eight million pounds in profit, and Bournemouth are, are pumping that up significantly. Mm. And again, this this doesn't include some of the undisclosed fees. But going off transfer marks numbers, there are six teams in this division that are that are at a net loss on transfers so far this summer, and that's Blackburn, Stoke, Coventry, Cardiff, Reading, and Middlesbrough. The overwhelming majority of clubs are making a profit, and to be fair, that's not new. Last year in the championship, in the summer window, the championship clubs got in 311 million and they spent 175 million. And that gives a a net transfer balance of 136 million. So far this summer, they have brought in 234 million and they've only spent 44 million. So the net balance is 190 up for the championship. So the average championship club last summer made five and a half million. The average championship club this summer has made eight million. So the point I'm making here is not to say everything's great at Huddersfield Town there's no problems there's no issues because we've talked about the issues there's definite issues I think they need to to continue to to bring players in but what I'm saying is this is not a window where anyone is spending big money and I can tell you that when Naby Sarr signed uh, a couple of weeks ago half of the people in my Twitter mentions were Blackburn fans (laughs) going, oh, that's another transfer target gone then, because there was a rumour that he was going to join them. And they were all really disappointed and upset that that, that was another signing that they weren't going to get. So it's not just Huddersfield fans that, that feel this way. But I think the depth of it is probably more acute at Huddersfield Town because they so obviously needed that that squad to be rebuilt. Well, sexy chat, that. Yeah, I I think it's good to put some of the some numbers on the actual situation. I think when we were talking about them needing ten to twelve players in our defence, we were talking about like dream scenario. Basically, we were saying you know if you under under normal circumstances, which you have to understand, thanks to COVID, this has been anything. But I think Town would have been really proactive in the transfer market i think if they if they'd decided to stick with the cowley's project they would have been really proactive in the transfer market but they've gone a completely different way and you know this is the reset that phil's talking about they're looking at a certain profile of player they have a certain budget and i think we get trapped into thinking that when you're priced out of a player that it's all about the transfer fee and it's not it's it's about the overall package you put to that player and the wages they're demanding and Phil has been very vocal and very active in his his 
thoughts about having a wage cap um, in the championship. Um, so while he may not be doing anything official, I would imagine unofficially he is. there is a level that they stick to. And if it goes beyond that level, then they have to look elsewhere. And I think the business they've done so far has been good. The problem is, and I'm going to use the word again, but the, pro- the issues are so stark in that first team that bridging the gap is not an easy thing and it's it's there's a level of coaching that has to come that we think this team this coaching team are capable of getting a lot more from who's there but investment in the squad I think there will be a little bit more but we said on this pod how how this window how the outs were more significant than the ins budget wise and Carlin Grunt is still a Huddersfield Town player Flo Hadajanai is still a Huddersfield Town player Terence Congolo is still a Huddersfield Town player Grant doesn't cost them a fortune wages wise like Hadajanai and Congolo do for the for the return you get out of them but Grant commands a massive fee so you've got uh, it's important to get that transfer done because that gives you a great whack of money that you can put onto the balance sheet there's no point going into explaining how transfer deals are structured but that does give you an amount of money you can put in immediately and then forecast across the next couple of years to come in as well how does United Congolo really it's about the wage sheet it, it's about getting that that wage bill down because they are to be frank earning way too much money if they were playing week in and week out you know if if they were contributing and really really good they would still be on too much money for this division so it's important they go as well and you can't just load your squad up and and take it on trust that those deals are going to get done and they're going to go because Congolo it's the race against time to get him fit enough to pass a medical basically we believe there is interest in him Hadish and I, we believe a deal's been done and then wobbled and then done and then it still nobody really seems to know what's happening at the moment with Hadish and I. And uh, Grant, we know is is the interest from West Brom is real, but the deal again looked close, didn't look close, and it, it all feels a bit up in the air again. It's my understanding with that is basically nothing's changed from last week, which is it's uh, it's just a waiting game between the two teams. They're both waiting to see who blinks first. I think over the it's from what I understand, it's not even the fee; it's the structure of the deal. Yeah. It's how much money a town going to get up front mm. um, because. From West Brom's point of view, they're thinking, well, Town or Huddersfield, you know, we know what championship finances are like. We've just come from there. Uh, they're going to be desperate for the money. So they'll come back asking, saying, yeah, eventually. And Town are saying, no, we need that money. We're not, we'd rather keep him if we don't get that money up front. So that's where we are with it. Both, basically, both clubs are just waiting for the other to, to come and cave. game. A game of chicken. Yeah chicken so yeah but I mean yeah I mean you're right to mention there the outs being more important than the in and and it's a stagnant market and everyone was getting frustrated about the lack of movement in the transfer window we've had three signings in the last two weeks now so things are starting to open up a bit but I've used this example before but you look at that Ramadan Sobi deal that was a player who had interest in him there was a bidding war for Ramadan Sobi because he was a big player in Egypt multiple clubs wanted him he had interest from Europe as well that was a deal that that in any other circumstances it would have taken a couple of days to get done because everyone wanted him he wanted to go everyone's happy with the move it took over a month for that deal to to go ahead because everything is just has just slowed down this summer because everyone's having to be more careful because everyone is in the same position of needing outs before ins 
pretty much, mm. unless you're buying Munich or Liverpool, uh, you know, or Man City. Yeah. Everyone is in that same position. West Brom are in that same position, potentially, you know, because they've they've got their own transfer budget and they've spent £80 million pounds of it on, on Dean Garner. So... That's that's I think is is part a big factor behind them. They've also the, made a the, wacky the fee um, to have Pereira again for the season, haven't they? Their chairman was on record, I think, as saying their transfer budget was something around thirty-five million for the summer. So they'll be they'll be nudging up against that. Bear in mind they got Ivanovic as well to come in, um, who will have taken a a, a hefty on signing budget. on fee yeah. and won't be cheap. So. Yeah, it, it's. I think where the criticism is going to be valid is if we get to the end of the transfer window and Town have managed to shift Grant, Harajinai, Congolo, Subdi, a couple of others as well, and they haven't reinvested any of that beyond those they've signed now. I think that's where we have to look at it as as podcasters and analysts and say, yeah, yeah they've not reinvested into the squad here. They've left Corbin dreadfully short. But we're not at that point yet. And once, I I reasonably confident that I think once, particularly the Grant deal is done, I th- I think the Grant deal is the one just because it allows them to work into their budget for the next three years a fee of a sort of minimum I would imagine of about twelve to fourteen million pound, um, of which they'll get. I mean, they may do it three instalments, they may do it two, they may even do it four, but as long as you can put it on the balance sheet, it suddenly just makes things feel a little bit easier overall um but we'll we'll see the thing i would the comment i make about the transfer market generally as well is i think there's a lot of stock being put into the extension of two weeks after the transfer window ends and i I, the loan market hasn't been as quick as it usually is there's there's usually a lot of championship clubs have have snaffled up loads of loan players and we haven't seen the same numbers um so far we've seen a few sort of reasonably high profile ones but we've not seen those sort of squid uh, squid filling squad filling uh, squid filling uh, squad filling loan signings yet and i think that a lot of people are just biding their time and i think town may be in the same boat they may have a list of targets that they'd quite like to approach potentially for loan signings but they they just don't want to do it right at this second because they want to see what how the next you know week and a half of the market shakes out i i don't think it's going to go absolutely crazy on the last day but i do think that you may see quite a bit of horse trading coming up over the last week as clubs like Huddersfield Town and West Brom realize right well you know is this happening or isn't it we've got a we've got you know things have come to a head so we shall see i i just don't i don't think the criticisms are are overly valid yet but I do think if if they leave the squad with with big gaps there, you know, we criticised them last season for for leaving it to the point where they had to go and get Danny Simpson as a free agent to come and plug the gap they had at right back. Um, and I think those criticisms will be valid again. Yeah, I mean, they've gone and they've gone and signed the the players they wanted for the positions they wanted basically going into this window. So. Going into the window, I was told, and I've I've put this on the site as well, so I'm not keeping secrets from anyone. They wanted a centre forward, a right back, centre back, and a defensive midfielder, and they've got those. Plus, they brought in Pereira because of uh, Ryan Schofield's injury. They brought in Pereira's cover as a goalkeeper as well. So that's that's basically the four that they, or well, the five that they that they needed. And to be fair, 
everyone and I understand they still need signing so I can understand that everyone's just like okay fine but what's next but Naby Sar looks a good signing Pippa looks a good signing I think looks like he could be a brilliant signing if he can stay fit although the fans were less enthusiastic than you and I were Danny Ward's stats at Cardiff were really impressive uh, albeit mostly playing off the bench you know his his he was not, not to labor the point too much but he was up there as one of the most clinical strikers in the in the championship um so we're now at a point where they've got the players that they're identified as like these are our top priorities these are the positions we most want to fill and then now with you know a couple of weeks of the main window left plus that that two week extension they're now in a position where they can look at okay well what else is there that we can look at and obviously everyone's going to look at the attack and I think they would be daft not to look at the attack um, as we've made pretty clear earlier in this podcast Um, they have previously sort of insisted that they were happy with their attacking options part of me to be perfectly honest wonders if that was a position they've taken to as more of an expectations management thing because it's going to be I mean we've talked about how difficult it has been to shift players like like Sobey who had genuine interest around them or Carlin Grant who's got a club that really wants to sign him he wants to go town would be you know accept a sale we talked about how difficult those deals are to get over the line compared with what they normally are so for a to get out a player like Diacarbi or Mbenza is going to be very difficult for them because there's just not going to be much of a market for those players particularly after Diacarbi was also let's be brutally honest disastrously poor at Nottingham Forest when he went there on loan in January so it's difficult for them because they almost want to put those players in the in the shop window and give them a chance to show that that they can do a job and if they do a job then fantastic they can either sell them or they've got a good player who they can keep um but the question now is whether they're at a point where it's it's already apparent that those players aren't going to do that job that they aren't up to scratch and they do need to bring uh, replacements in for them, uh, or at very least competition in for them. And yeah, I I think if they where the fans frustrated. I think if they do shift everybody they want to shift, and they don't get a winger of some sort, be it a permanent or be it a loan, that will be a very obvious point of criticism. Because as you said, it's not even necessarily that Dear Carbion and Benza started the season badly or anything like that, but they there does need to be some competition. <laughs> There does need to be some options, and uh, yeah, I I just I, I I just feel with this transfer window, it's almost impossible to talk about until we get to the point where it's shut because I just don't know what that last week's going to look like. I I personally, if I had to guess, I don't think there's going to be. I think there's going to be loads of deals, but I don't think there's going to be loads of money chucked around. I think we might actually see, you know, like one or two swap deals and. I think we might see a lot of loans with the option to buy as well. You know, a, a try before you buy, basically. Um, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. There's just. I think the overall point you're trying to make is that there are areas where you can criticise, but there are other areas where you just you can't really say anything at the moment because there are still unknowns. Yeah, and I'm not saying everyone shut up because it's their club, and you know. That, that, that they've got good reason to feel um, worried about the, the direction the club are going in this season. Um, but the other thing, the, my point is, one, there are factors that are massively outside the club's control. 
I think they've done what looks on paper to be good business so far, actually. And I think yeah, mm. I think that's kind of because there's so obviously other deficiencies in the squad that need addressing. I think the good business they've already done has kind of been forgotten as soon as it's happened. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in other circumstances that Iting sign, and everyone's really excited about that signing because he's a lad coming from Ajax who, you know, has played in the Champions League. And the only reason he's here is because he's he's had some injuries and he needs to get back into fitness. That could be, I mean, that was almost the situation with Emil Smith Rowe, pretty much. Um, so he could be a really impressive sign, and I think in other circumstances there might have been a bit more excitement around him. But um, but the other thing is everyone the other criticism i hear a lot is there is a lack of communication from the club on what their intentions are and i can understand that particularly because they used to have in sean jarvis as the the point of contact on twitter mm. who would answer questions i think uh there have been some poorly judged tweets um from from both phil helskinson and mark devlin which i think they would hold their hands up to uh over the last the last few months um and I don't think any of the, I don't think again they're the kind of things that in a uh happier circumstance no one cares about them. But when you've got the fans that are already really upset, it it looks a bit tone deaf. But I also think that the club have been quite upfront about the fact that that they are gonna have to cut their cloth this summer and that they are gonna have to reduce the wage bill and that there are gonna be players leaving because we saw that from you know how Phil Hodgkinson's been talking about it throughout the summer that they've lost a lot of revenue and we've not even mentioned by the way I've been talking about the match day income they've lost they've also lost a chunk of their parachute payments because of the, re the reduction in the the TV deal because it's a percentage of the TV deal because that that Premier League rights deal has, has come down so of the parachute payments Phil Hodgkinson's been been talking throughout the summer about the fact that they've lost 10 million pounds plus and that's just talking about sort of last season uh Lee Bromby has has talked about how football will change the face of football will change football will have to cut its cloth a little bit that was in may he was talking about that you know phil hodgkinson on that podcast appearance in june was again talking about the amount of money that the club have already lost the fact that the parachute payments are going to be lost um and the fact that that the club have to live within their means we need to live up within our means for the next 12 months we don't know if there's going to be a second wave we don't know if it's going to come and hit us again in december or january we've got to be really really careful and as a club we've got to assume the worst and prepare for the worst and if the worst doesn't happen then we've got upsides and we are looking at that second wave now you know we were they were looking at getting fans back in the stadium in october and it's very difficult to see that happening with the way that, that the pandemic is is picking picking up again i mean lee bromby was on youtube last week talking about the frustrations and the difficulties of when you don't know how long it's going to take for players to leave the club and you can only bring players if certain players leave. And he was talking about that more generally, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we can infer one or two things in light of the Carl and Grant situation about that as well. So I understand the criticism of the lack of communication, but at the same time, I think there are, there have been occasions where they have addressed these things. And I don't think they're doing a lot of people are talking about broken promises and I'm not, entirely sure i agree with that to be perfectly honest no I, I think you're exactly right i think i've seen i think at the moment the problem is the the town there's a group of towns fans who are just in a spiral where the it doesn't matter what the clubs say or do they they will pull it apart and find 
fault with it. Um, and again, I completely get that. It's it's a reflection of it's a reflection of last season being an incredibly disappointing season. Then the drama of of sacking the Cowleys as they did that came after the Premier League season that was just draining. That came after the first Premier League season, of which there was a period of of three or four months in the season, which was pretty draining as well. You know, it started with fireworks and roller coasters, and it ended well. But there was a period in the middle where it was it was tough. So I I get it. I get it. It's a cumulative effect, and I think the communication thing. I think what you've just said about one or two. It, it's not like anybody has said anything particularly wrong, but it's it's just you you have to understand that I don't, I, I don't think one or two people have been very good at reading the mood of the sort of greater mood of the town fans at times and I think that's that's perhaps where one or two individuals have, have fallen down I think the voice from the club has remained fairly consistent throughout it is what it is um but yeah it it's it's just another one of those conversations we have to have because things aren't going well. Whereas if Town have won four games on the bounce, we're not talking about Mark Devlin's tweets. We're not talking about finances. We're not talking about COVID. We're not talking about this, that and the other. If, you, if you're doing a Brentford pod, you're not talking about any of this at the moment. It's just the way it is. No. Um, any of these criticisms that we have about style of play or, or players or recruit players underperforming, the club know all of those things. Um, and I just, I, I understand where the fans come from because they just want to hear someone come out and say mm. things are underperforming and we're making, we're making changes. We know it has to change. The, the problem is, is that, you know, how many times have, have they heard that? I, I feel like my reaction to all of these things is always, well, what can they say that, that would make you feel better? <laughs> and I'm just not sure that there is anything that the club could say at this stage to make the fans feel better. If Phil There's nothing came... like, it, like the only thing that I think that will please a certain section of fans is going out and signing eight proven championship players tomorrow. And that is not going to happen. So I do think the club are sort of trapped at the moment in a world where they either they either don't say anything or they sort of have to accept that anything they say is going to get picked apart and it's not a it's not a brilliantly healthy situation on either side no but i just thought we needed to talk about that because i think people would have would have asked questions if we hadn't um but that's where i are with it and and as i say it's not none of that is to say there aren't problems that need addressing but it's it's more just to say i don't think that there is i don't think there's anything being hidden in terms of sort of the finances i think they are what they are and you can say well i'd rather we had someone who was putting 20 million pounds a year into the club um and you know i can understand that the shape the squad is in but if they get 16 million pounds to colin grant the best way to spend that money is not to go and get a 16 million pound striker it's to go and get several shrewd signings who will fit well into carlos Corbrand's system like pippa is has shown that he's you know shown signs that he's going to do like Nabi Saar on paper does like uh Karolaitin on paper does it's those kinds of signings that they need and I don't think anyone is unhappy with those signings in terms you know from from the fans <laughs> but at the same time I understand why people are getting upset the only other thing to say I think is that that is all searchable fact as well you can have a look at yeah. the club's accounts I mean, some people understand accounts, some people don't, but they that you can go and look and see that. It's 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 there. 
the thing about all of this though that I'll come back to is three wins and none of it matters. Yeah, <laughs> that's agree. that's the reality. It just the problem is it just feels like town are still a little way away from three wins. Right, Magic. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more cheerful listening for you uh, after the Nottingham Forest game. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Oh, you caught me in a yawn. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. See you cool. Oh, that was dour.